Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Beedratty. Uh, today, I would love to talk about the Beedratty Sport Line. So they have developed this over years, and you know, really, the the delay in getting sport apparel out for Beedratty was really quality. They were looking to build the best polo that would feel the most like their signature Peruvian Pima cotton on their regular polos as they could. So what you have with weather getting warmer all across the country is a great line of apparel that is going to be as comfortable as that your favorite cotton shirt. Um, but it's the lightest polo in golf. It's got a wicking fabric for moisture. So on a hot day, you're not going to be having sweat stains all over the place. And it's also got sun protection up to uh, I think it's 50 plus UPF so if you use the code TFE25 you get 25% off at bdraddy.com including the sport collection they've got everything from you know pullovers to polos in that sport collection so go to bdraddy.com and use the code TFE25 for 25% off at bdraddy Today's episode is with the PGA Tours senior editor, Sean Martin. Sean is a, uh, he was on the grounds at the Masters and has devoted more coverage to Hideki Matsuyama than any uh, other American journalist that I know of. So I thought he'd be a perfect guest to come on and uh, break down Hideki's win and just Hideki in general, a, you know, superstar in the sport that I don't think anybody knows a ton about but sean knows about as much as anybody about hideki so we break down the 2021 masters and their uh its winner hideki matsuyama in great detail and thank you so much for sean uh for coming on and without further ado here is the episode I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Sean, recent new father. Was this your first uh, start since uh, since paternity leave back at uh, at the Masters? It was. I came back and worked match play week because you know that's just a a grind. Pe- the traffic on the match recaps, people love those. So I want to help out with that with ninety six matches in three days. Not to get into a format discussion, which I know you want to. Um, <laughs> but that was my first. That was my first event uh, on the road since the Houston Open. Oh, no, sorry, since the RSM Classic. So, yeah, so what a jump. Just big Just events thrown, in Georgia. Thrown right into the wolves. Yeah, it had to be like a surreally different uh, experience with such limited fans. Like, it, it had to be so easy to get around, so easy to see stuff. Uh, I, obviously, one of, the, one of the few places that media is not allowed inside the ropes is the Masters. Yeah, it was still very different. You know, there were still no grandstands, uh, which it took me a little bit. I was walking around on Monday. I was like, man, this feels different still, and I can't figure out why. And then I got to the middle of that fairway on 15, about 80 yards out, where everyone stops and takes a photo. And I realized I could see the 16th green, and I was like, oh, yeah, there's no grandstands. You saw those clear sight lines. It was really cool. Uh, when Kyle and I were walking the back nine, you know, you still could see things easily. 
you know, we were next to the 15th green when Hideki and Xander were there. We walked over to 16T, still could see everything. So it definitely still was very different than like your typical Masters, but it wasn't, I mean, the thing in November is going to be, I mean, that's once in a lifetime. That'll, that one's going to stand alone. Different experience uh, being on the grounds. Obviously a historic win, one that has to make you smile, had to make you, you know, grinning from ear to ear. You're one of the biggest Hideki appreciators, fans on the planet, uh, especially in this part of the world. And, uh, you know, different masters, but what were your overarching thoughts on Hideki's win? Obviously, you penned a wonderful uh, profile piece on, on his win on Hideki on PGATour.com that I would urge all the listeners to go read. Uh, yeah, so I think the word fan makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And it's funny because people react as if, like, this was life-changing for me. Like, am I going to get 1% of the earning? You know, it's not like I'm earning money off or something like that. Like, at the end of the day, you know... It was great to see. I like to consider myself a Hideki Matsuyama appreciator, probably the largest Hideki appreciator of the American media. Uh, so fan always makes me a little uncomfortable. It's a, I think we'll get into it, but it's really a bit that kind of started 10 years ago. And I think now that it's been going for like 10 years, it's kind of probably melded with reality and it's hard to tell where, what's a joke and what's not. And, um, so yeah, but I mean, I, you know, there's no cell phones at Augusta National, obviously. So I'd go out on the course and watch nine holes. I'd come back to like 50 text messages. Uh, I mean, it was, I've never, I can say without a doubt, I've never received so many text messages in a day from Saturday to Sunday. That was wild. I, you know, like guys say, if they win the tournament, you know, I have not responded to everyone yet. Uh, and I've apologized if I haven't, I'm gonna try to get back to everyone at once, but, uh, it was a little bit wild in that sense that, uh, <laughs> the amount of, I guess, attention and texts and tweets and everything else was, was a little wild. I mean, were you surprised that he won this? Yeah. I mean, I think. I want to say that I said earlier this year that I didn't think he was going to win it this year. I thought the drought was going to keep going. I mean, he didn't have a top 10 going into Augusta. I mean, he hasn't been playing great golf. He was off everybody's radar. But then, you know, I think this is the thing about Augusta and why you kind of kick yourself is like majors are, they bring a little bit different out of it. But like then, you know, he's played so well at Augusta over his career. And it's like you look at what what do you need at Augusta more than anything is great iron play. And, and that's that's what he does everywhere. Same thing with Zalatoris. I mean, you talk about tough conditions bringing out the best. I mean, Zalatoris' best two finishes this year are the U.S. Open and the Masters. Hideki, his strokes gained approach is a little bit off this year, but he's finished in the top 10 in strokes gained approach the green every season of his career. His full, first full season was 2014, and he's been top 10. He's the only player uh, to finish top 10 in strokes gained approach the green uh, in each of the last seven years, and his streak of seven consecutive years of doing that is the longest since Rose Gain was invented. The next best, I think, was Furyk and your boy Ernie at five, and the next longest active streak was Justin Thomas at four. Now, Tiger probably would have gotten there if he had seven consecutive years where he counted for the stats, but like from under the Haney years, I mean, really under the Haney years, his iron play was unbelievable. In 04 to 07, he was always top 10. He would have been in 08. He won four out of six starts before the knee. Um, and he probably would have been again, I think he was again in 09, and then of course 10 and 11, uh, he wasn't in the stats again either because of limited play. Were you, you know, what did you think going into Sunday? Did you think, did you feel like Hideki was, was gonna, you know, do what he did, go out and play like a really solid round of golf, or were you, was there any of the pursuers that really worried you more than others the, in terms of him getting it done on Sunday? So I think... When he finished, you know, having played the last eight holes in six under, you're like, oh, well, he's going to shoot 63 tomorrow, win this by 12. Like, he just looked unbeatable. 
But then I think someone made the point uh, that Rory had a four-shot lead in 2011. And it felt like as it got closer to the tee time, you're like, man, four shots is really – it's not a guarantee. And actually listening to the shotgun start, uh, listening to Andy – yourself say you know if he shoots 70 someone's got to shoot 66 i'm like all right that make you know you put it that way and it, it felt a little more confident but you know i don't know and then you're out there he pushes his tee shot on one and i was behind him when he hit the second shot and he hit it through the trees but he did not hit it through the gap he was trying to hit it through uh he hit it right of a tree and into another gap where i think if he it, at least it didn't seem he hit it through the gap he was trying to and so it very easily would have hit the right side of that tree and bounced further into trouble it's. I mean, it, it require a little luck, you know. He gets through the yeah. trees, Spieth doesn't, and, and that's like you know part of the championship right there. Yeah. Um. It's. Uh. But I mean, it was nuts how the lead had evaporated to one by the time he gets off one. But at the same time, I think this is something that happens with Augusta every year. Is it kind of tricks us? Yeah, you've because, got two and three coming up. Yeah, because you you know it's like it does it on the back nine too, where you have that rut of really scorable holes, and then. Yeah, every year, like, oh, maybe this guy's going to be the guy. Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, he's just played all like the gettable holes and all the leaders haven't. And yeah. they're going through the murderer stretch. And, and I think the same thing happens right out of the gates with like you get through one, then you got scorable two, three. But, you know, it, it's uh, four, five, six really determine how you play that front nine, it seems like. To be honest, I kind of thought Zalatoris, I mean, he was the one I kind of felt like was the biggest threat. It was just that. You know, the, the longer I've covered this, the more you realize, like, so much of it is just mental. Like, Jordan Spieth was not the best ball striker in college golf. Like, he was, you know, had some scrapey areas. He still does, uh, but he wins three majors. You just see it with these guys who are just so mentally tough. And, like, Zalatoris, to do what he did in these two majors and, you know, play rock solid on Saturday while in the final group with Justin Rose, you know, it just shows that mentally he has something. And so I kind of thought that he might just, you know, if it becomes an iron player's game and he doesn't fold, which it didn't look like he was going to do, then I kind of thought that um, he might just go ahead and win it. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. I, I thought with Zalatoris, one of the most, you know, outside of his play, one of the things that I found the most impressive was just his candor and in interviews, yeah. his presence in interviews. He he dropped some zingers. He was yeah. like very calm, extraordinarily well-spoken. And it, it, the moment, you know, you see people get into these things, and a lot of times you're like, oh, that... Like, you know, Bern Wiesberger, great, great player. But like you see him up there and you're like, well, this isn't going to last, you know? Right. And there was something like with Zalatoris, not only the way he was playing, but the way he was handling himself. You're like, oh, this guy is not going away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of I think like in terms of like just like a small little thing, Zalatoris makes that putt on 18 on Sunday. And I think it's a lot different of a, a Sunday if, if Hideki is playing with Zalatoris and three back uh, rather than where Zalatoris was a few groups ahead of him, because I think Zalatoris was the guy that would have put the pressure on. Yeah. And I, it's funny because Hideki's up five of the turn and Porter just keeps going. I mean, Spieth was up six mm -hmm. and now granted he had to, he had to dunk in the water on 12. I really thought once he birdied 13, I thought it was over five up with five to go. There's no real danger except maybe 15, but even then, if you hit your second shot in the water, you could get out of there with bogey pretty easy. I didn't think he'd hit in the long, the backwater. But, I mean, Xander, I mean, that we couldn't see that bunker shot probably as well as people on TV. But based on the, the reaction from the patrons, it seemed like it was really close to dropping. Oh, so close. It was, I mean, it was like it burned the edge. And basically. then it's one shot, you know. 
Well, you know, so this is where I kind of like him and Hyde. It's like the the record books are going to show us a one shot win, but it was not that close. No, but I mean, if that if that bunker shot drops, he's yeah. only up one with three holes to go. One of the things when you build a five shot lead with five to go, you're afforded uh, a leeway of mistakes. And, yeah. you know, obviously the the big mistake was 15, but that was the smarter miss than the short miss. Like the yeah. short miss is when you welcome in eight, you know, it all of a sudden enters the chat. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it, it he had the three put on 16, obviously a hard putt. He had the, you know, he had a missed short putt on 14. Like that's the other thing about his round. Like, you know, he played great. He missed a short one on seven. Seven. He missed a short one on seven. Like, it was not a bulletproof round. But, like, the iron play was extraordinary for the stretch of holes that he really needed to be on fire. You know, when you think about six through four, 14, he yeah. he didn't really miss many shots, you know? And I thought your point about, um, you know, thinking back to the birdie on 13, the up and down on 18 on Saturday, your point that, Everyone thinks that, you know, chipping and putting are correlated. The short game is correlated. And obviously we know about his putting. He's a fantastic chipper of the golf ball. Oh, him and it's like him and Sergio. They have this thing about really great iron players, like who struggle with putting. It's they, good hands. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of, Webb Simpson is kind of the same way too. I mean, just great hands. Um, you so know, Tony well, Finau. Tony Finau. I think you could throw in that bucket also. Like yeah. everybody's like, oh, he gets it done with distance. And it's like, well, he's a top twenty player around the greens. Like that, you know, that doesn't happen that often. I think too. We talk about the golf swing being about big muscles, and you want to take the little muscles out of it. And the club's traveling hundred miles an hour on iron shots, and you know, you can't really finagle it. But at the same time, you know, you did hear. I remember Phil one year talking about where he was at with his game. He had just switched to. Um, uh, Andrew gets in his current teacher and he's like, you know, I think I've got the big motions down, but it's still now it's just getting those tiny, um, tiny motions with a hand to work the ball. And so there is still some hands in the iron shots. Um, especially, you know, when you're dealing with side hill lies and maybe an imperfect lie, there still is, there's still some hands there. Whereas kind of the driver, probably not as much. Mm-hmm. Hey, you did a really great piece on, uh, on Bob Turner, his interpreter, a few years back, 2014. And I, I'm just curious, you know, about his impact on Hideki through the years. Obviously, he's been basically at his side for everything for since he turned pro. Uh, can you shed a little bit more light on, on Bob Turner? Yeah, so interesting. I mean, I think everyone saw it uh, yesterday or Sunday. You know, Bob Turner's just a a white guy. He's not from Japan, but uh, he's living in Northern California, uh, converted to Mormonism and did his mission uh, in Japan and was a pretty good golfer, was playing college golf, went over to Japan um, and then came back and had met a woman there and so decided to go back. And so he goes over there, gets married, um, plays his final year of college golf in Japan. And so it's like all Japanese guys and this one white dude. Um, and the college golf team used to help at the Dunlop Phoenix, which is that kind of that big event that they do appearance fees. Brooks has wanted, Tigers wanted, Seve's wanted. They get, you know, a handful of international stars every year. And the college team was the standard bearers. And so somebody saw Bob and they're like, well, what's your story? What are you doing here? Because, I mean, he's the one white guy in Japan mm-hmm. or at the tournament. And told his story, and so they started using him to translate, like, when Seve would come over, or Tiger, or any of those players would come over to Dunlop Phoenix, he became the translator. Um, and so then he just started this business of translating for golfers. And, and so his son, Alan, actually was the, uh, 
the bullpen catcher and the translator for a Seattle Mariners uh, reliever. I can't remember his name. And I want to say that the golf coach at Hideki's University was also the, had been the baseball coach. I had met him. He was like he seemed like a baseball coach. And so they got connected and asked Allen to translate when Hideki came to his first Masters in 2011. Which actually, uh, Hideki and I both played Augusta for the first time in the same year. Um, <laughs> just you know, another connection. Um, so that was, and then Bob eventually became his translator, and Alan actually still works for the Mariners. He translates now for Ichiro. Uh, Ichiro's coaching in the Mariner system, and so I think it's been a huge help because I mean, you have Hideki over here. You know, he still doesn't speak. You know, he's not fluent in English. Obviously, um, a lot of guys say he speaks more than he lets on, but that helps him kind of stay focused. But I think he helped with the transition immensely. I mean, Hideki, when he first came over, was doing kind of the Sungjae thing of like going hotel to hotel, didn't have a house. Where does where does Hideki live in the States now when he has a Orlando. House? Orlando, okay. Yeah. So I think it's been a huge help. And I think too, you know, Hideki said that he asked Bob, or he was going to ask Bob on Saturday, like what, what did Sevi do in situations like this? And he didn't have a chance to. But I think Bob also, because he's been around Tiger and Seve and um, other Japanese star golfers, and he can provide some of that as well. And, um, you know, Bob's really low-key, really chill. A lot of times I see him at events and we just talk about, like, he'll ask about my kids and we'll just have, like, small talk. And he's just a very low-key, relaxed person. So I could see him possibly helping, you know, Hideki in that because Hideki's so intense. With with Hideki, obviously, I think a lot of people are learning more about him. He seems like an extremely private person. I mean, obviously, there's the the tales of him hiding his not only marriage but the birth of his first child from from the Japanese press that have you know tried to infiltrate every aspect of his life. Were you surprised at all to see him flying commercial at uh, out of uh, Atlanta? A little bit. Um, it's funny. I found a clip on YouTube of like a Japanese morning show had called in to like his Orlando house. And I mean, this thing was like bare bones. You know, there was like nothing on the walls. It was just this. And I don't know if it's still where he lives in Orlando, but you know, it was like there was a treadmill and there was, but there, it looked like basically like a college guy's house, not decorated, just basic, which kind of feels like it fits his life of like there's golf and like that's it. I wasn't shocked. I mean, also, if he was going to Japan, I mean, frankly, I don't know if you can fly private across the Pacific. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can. I don't... Yeah, I guess he had to go to he had to come to Chicago. You know, he yeah. wasn't stopping by my house to do an interview. But <laughs> I, the, my favorite I thing, most I, people think of that. But I still love the line about when someone asked him, like, well, "Why didn't you tell the media that you had a wife and child?" And he's like, "Well, no one asked." And so I've always wanted to like then ask him every week, like, "Oh, how many children are we at now? You know, you have another kid?" Or, um, but I think. You know, talking to Japanese media, like, it's not just that he gives very short answers to the English press because they have to be translated. Like, he's a man of few words, like, to the Japanese press. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of compare him to, to Tiger in the sense of, like, it's very buttoned up, answers are very serious, not a lot of, not a lot of jokes, you know, kind of like when Tiger went into the prime. It was just very, you know, yes and no answers. And from my sense of, like, what he has to do in those post-round sessions with Japanese media after every round, like, there's a lot of questions are like, of, you know, you missed a 15-footer, why did that happen? You know, you missed the green with a six iron, why did that happen? You made bogey, why did that happen? And instead of like, you know, sometimes you miss a 15-footer because you missed a 15-footer. And so sometimes <laughs> no, those things just happen because you can't hit every shot perfectly. And But I think, too, it's just very, it can be hard on him because it is like, I you know, having to answer for every bogey and every missed putt. And, you know, it's very detailed of like, what club did you hit? And But it's, you know, players have to do that when they win on Sunday but not when they shoot a Thursday 71. And so it's just, it's exhausting, I think. And so I think part of it too is short answers to kind of 
frankly, keep those things from not going too long. Um, cause even I was shocked. I was, I read Ray Thompson's piece and then I texted, actually DM'd with Ken Hideki win. I had no idea that he cried after the 2017 PGA, which I was surprised because that's such an emotional reaction and he feels like a man of few emotions. So that was How interesting did, to me. You know, obviously the 2017 near miss at the PGA uh, was something that impacted him a lot. And I think it's something that you've covered. How did that, you know, how long was that, you know, period where he kind of struggled after that? I mean, he was almost on top of the world before that. You got to remember. So like the week before at Firestone, he shoots 61 to win by five. Uh, And even the summer or the kind of winter and early of 2017, he was on that run where he finished like first or second in seven straight events. That was insane. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was like crazy. Right when the hero. It coincided with the hero. Yeah, he won, uh, won HSBC, won an event. I think he won the Dunlop, uh, was like second at Century. And so he was second in the world. He got back to second in the world after Firestone. I think we forget that Hideki Masayama was number two in the world. And yes. so then the next week of the PGA, he shoots that 64 in the second round, which was like just flawless. I looked it back. He made two putts outside of eight feet. Like, it was ridiculous. And I don't remember the exact details, but um, I remember he made a putt on 15, the uphill par five at Quail Hollow. Made, like, a 10-footer, and it was like, oh, this is happening. And then he bogeyed two last three to finish three back, which also JT had a two-shot lead going into the the last hole and kind of did what Hideki did of just make an easy bogey and get out of there with the trophy. Um, But I didn't know that he cried afterwards until Monday. And But it's very easy to think, like... That seems to have had a huge effect on him because he was on top of the world, almost unbeatable, and then that's it. It falls off the map, and like he never wins for four years later. So I, Bob, when we asked him on Sunday, said it didn't affect him. It just seems like too much of a coincidence. I think, I mean, it, it had to affect him. I mean, for him, he's not a very emotional guy, and for him to cry afterwards, you kind of realize, like, yeah, I blew that one. It's, his win just comes at a really interesting time because obviously we've we've had Hideki around forever now. It's it's nuts that he's only twenty nine, you know. Yeah. Um, and you almost forget him. He becomes yesterday's news, but he's still like sub thirty year old golfer with a ton of golf ahead of him now, you know. Yeah. And but at the same t- time, he had become almost an afterthought because of this y- wave of youth. That has uh, infiltrated the PGA Tour, Wills El Torres, among you know the likes of Kyle Morikawa, Hovland, Matthew Wolf, uh, Cameron Champ, you know all these guys that are winning, and it's now it almost resets expectations, and it's like where does Hideki go now from here? Yeah, uh, being twenty nine or thirty uh, feels like the third generation or like third youngest generation of PGA Tour players. So like you know you got Rory who's about to turn thirty two. Hideki is that age, Brooks is that age, but then you think about them, you're like, yeah, but they're older than Jordan and Justin and Xander. And you're like, yeah, but they're a few years older than um, Morikawa, Wolf, uh, Hovland. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, they're like the, I feel like they're the third oldest generation in a sense of, of golfers, of like, or third oldest tier of golfers in a sense, that they're like almost in their middle age when they're really not. I mean, you know, everyone says Phil won his first major at 34. We've seen what DJ has done since turning about 35. Um I mean, I think maybe like it's harder with a distance game, but I, I don't know that it does. You still, there's just so much about having the head on your shoulders. So, yeah, I think we forget about 30-year-olds a little bit because of Morikawa, Wolf, um, Hovland, those guys. It's like Sheffler. almost become like the, you're always looking for the next the big thing. Yeah. And, 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 and it used to be you bag a major before your 30th birthday, and it's like, whoa. This is a big deal. You know, yeah. this is a 29-year-old. How many is he going to win? And, and it feels like... 
You know, one of the things I think with Hideki is it's easy to look at a guy like Sergio or Adam Scott as his career arc comp, you know? Um, But it'll be interesting to see if he can, if he can bag more, obviously Augusta national is going to be a great place for him for 10 plus years going forward. And with his game, his game works pretty much everywhere you play. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, good ball striking plays everywhere. You know, he putted well, you know, so he hired his first golf coach in December. He'd never had a coach before that. That's crazy. I know. It'll be interesting to see what he does before then. How did he learn to swing? Was well, his dad is, his dad's like a 10-time club champion. So his dad's a good player, and I think YouTube, you know, watching Tiger. Um, and, you know, when he played, he played on the college team, so he played college golf at Tohoku Fukushi. Um, so I think there was coaching there, you know, like when the tsunami hit, he was in Australia for like a college training session so i think that he had some coaching there but he didn't have like a one-on-one swing instructor and then once he turned pro was on the tour full-time he didn't have a, an instructor i think he picked a lot of brains and he definitely watched a lot so i think and but that can get you in trouble too because you're like oh you know i want to do this and i want to do that and dj does this and rory does this and tiger does this and you try to throw them all together and then they don't match up and all of a sudden you're a mess so i wonder if i wonder too if what caused the four years um was that he he lost the PGA, started questioning some things maybe, and then but didn't have anyone to keep him on the path he was on, and like so he just started yeah trying to mix and match what Rory does and JT does and Spieth does, and, and just got a little crossed up. So I mean, really, I do. Want, I mean, if this coach, you know, if he has like a singular path, I mean, he could get back to that good golf again of being two in the world. If he, you know, maybe if his problem was in fact from just tinkering too much. Well, this is something that is crazy about you know as bad as he's played by his standards he just for a couple weeks drops outside of the top 30 in the world like yeah. this slide is not anything compared to you know your your Jordan Spieth falling to 90th in the world or uh Ricky Fowler you know dropping outside the top 100 for the first time like this is the guy still played at an extraordinarily high level um worldwide despite being in, you know, a all-time slump for him. He never missed Eastlake. So he's made Eastlake every year, these every full year on the tour as well. He's made Eastlake seven straight years. Um, so, yeah, so as bad as it got, he was still top 30 in the FedEx Cup. So I think that does prove kind of, yeah, that even his worst was, I mean, not that bad by comparisons of what we've seen from other people. We talked about the limited media presence out there. Do you think in any ways, I've seen this floated as like, you know, with COVID and there being less Japanese media around, do you think that at all was a factor in helping him or do you think it was minimal? I think he didn't mind it. Uh, you know, he was asked like, hey, does this make it easier? And he said, he's like, I don't know how to answer this like politically correct, but he was like, yeah, I prefer it this way. So it didn't hurt. I mean, I could see it because, I mean, when you have to do that much media, in a sense, unless you're Tiger, I guess, you know, the lows can get lower and the highs can get higher. They can almost get you too excited about what just happened, everyone around you all excited, or they can bring you down by having, you know, you have to walk through everything bad that's going on. So it couldn't have hurt, but at the same time, it's been like this since since the season resumed in, I guess, May of last year, and, you know, he wasn't playing that great since the season resumed. So I don't know. I think that Possibly, but if it really helped that much, we would have seen the results earlier than, than a year later. What do you kind of forecast in terms of, of short-term 
you know, everybody's talking about the ramifications of this win, what it's going to mean for golf. Obviously, it's a huge win in Japan, which is a golf crate, a large golf craze com- country that's been waiting a long time for a major championship uh, winner. What do you kind of forecast as the short term, you know, big impact that this is going to have and maybe the long term? I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. So at least from Hideki's standpoint, it's interesting because he always got that question, what's it going to win if you win a major for Japan? And it's not that he didn't care per se, but it was like, look, I want to win the Masters because I want to win the Masters. Like, not I want to win the Masters because I want to inspire all these kids. Though he did talk very well about it. I think short term, I mean, he's just going to deal with a lot. I mean, I assume there's going to be, I think, you know, pressure on him to play a lot, maybe more in Japan. He's done really playing regular Japan events outside of kind of November, December, which I think the Japan Open is then and the Dunlop Phoenix. So in a sense, you do have all this media, but you're also a continent away mm-hmm. when you're in the States. So that might help a little bit. But I mean, I, I do wonder, he doesn't seem to have a problem saying no, which will be helpful. But I mean, there's just going to be so much ass of his time in the lead up to the Olympics. Um, and which I thought it's showing that he's able to say no. I think he was asked, you know, are you, do you think you'll be asked to light the torch at the Olympics? And he said, I have no idea if it fits my schedule. I would love to. So like, he's not going to drop everything to be on, you know, to do all this media stuff or whatever. Um, but I think, again, I think it's just all the scrutiny, you know, that, that can get tiring. Um, so, you know, like I wonder with COVID, you know, Japanese media might be trying to send all those people back over to the States to cover them again. So you might go back to having all that media. And, you know, a lot of times when you get all that media, a lot of time it's not golf savvy media. So that's why you get the questions like, well, why'd you miss that putt? Or <laughs> can, can, can you win? win? Right. Um, it's the, uh, it, it's funny because that, that was the, one of the, I think that was the first major that I've, co- I covered in, in person. And, uh, it just happened to coincide with the, the, every, every single press conference can Hideki win. It was yeah. just, and that was when Hideki was really reaching his peak before he had this, you know, kind of swoon. And you do wonder, we got Takumi Kanaya coming up. I don't know about the pipeline after that. Um, I mean, I, I, there's got to be something for seeing that someone can do it. It's the whole thing of like, well, I used to beat this guy, and then I just saw him win the Masters, so maybe I can win the Masters. So it has to help in that sense. But I don't know. I mean, you know, Hideki's been world class for ten years, and you haven't seen a wave of players follow him at the same time. At the at the same time, though, it took that in America for Tiger for a while. You know, yeah. like if you think about the PGA Tour in 2006 which would have been 10 years after tiger burst onto the scene that was the worst Ryder cup team in the history yeah. of, of the Ryder cup yeah. you know like uh, it's it's not a it's not a one decade after it's more of a you know two three decade where like now i think we really see the tiger's impact with the guys like wills Eltors, colin morikawa matthew wolf that that really to me speaks kind of to the tiger era one of the things that was interesting doing a story years ago on Korean men is as like Siwoo was starting to emerge on the scene and Sung You'll Know and a couple of the younger Koreans was that it used to be, you know, like KJ arrived on the scene at 35. Y.E. Yang was like the same age. They didn't come to the States until they were older. And so all of these guys in, in Korea, they played the Korean tour first and then maybe went over to the States. And in Korea, because it's an island, the courses are, are shorter and tighter and smaller because there's only so much land and land's expensive. And so Korean players developed a, a type of game suited for those courses. And so when they got over to the United States and everything was bigger and wide open and longer, they struggled. Um, and so once you had guys coming over at a younger age and seeing what they had to do to compete against Americans and in America, they started developing a game that was better suited for America. So I do wonder, you know, with Hideki, he could help that of like, 
you know, I don't know if Japan's the same where the courses are shorter and smaller and tighter because of the lack of land because it's an island also, but I, I think it's similar. And so, well, I, I think that's, I think that's something that stands out. Like when you think about Ishikawa and, yeah. and where he failed, like, you know, he didn't necessarily have the, the gas pedal when it got came to America, like where he didn't have the sheer power in, in all that is that Hideki Hideki's a big like I think that's one of the things if you've never seen Hideki in person one of the things that sticks out right off the bat is how big he is like, yeah his legs and lower body is just he's just a big dude and and it's I think that's where he his game was so American friendly you know in terms of it and I think coming over for the masters as you wrote in your piece had to have a huge impact on on him at a young age yeah and i think too i mean he is a big baseball fan and he talked about his idols growing up and they were baseball players like darvish and otani and so i think almost in a sense of that tiger aspect too where like he viewed himself as an athlete versus a golfer um and then frankly he's gotten a lot bigger you look at pictures from the 2011 asian am and i mean it's like i mean he's gotten bigger he's gotten a lot bigger um which I think in Wright Thompson's story said even he's had to ask, answer questions about that. Like, yeah. why do you gain so much weight? Which is, I mean, just think about having to answer questions about like everything and like from your weight gain to your, you know, club selection to, I mean, it would probably drive you crazy a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, a, it'd be hard to be like polite when people are asking like all those questions. Like I get agitated when people ask me a, a lot of questions. It's, it's a natural reaction. One of the things that stuck out, stuck out to me also, was how he talked about, like, the, his first thought, it seemed like, was how happy he was for his caddy. Yeah. And, and that just seems so grace, gracious and generous. And it's like, it wasn't about him winning the Masters as much as, hey, I finally got a win for my, new, my caddy that was new on the bag, like, who's gone through all these years of not winning. You know, that answer really did surprise me just because he's talked about how, he, you know, he wanted to win the Masters forever, and you do think of him as being so singularly focused, you know, you would think when you win, your first thought is, I won the Masters. Like, I'm coming here for life. I've won the Masters. Um, so I was surprised by the answer. But then it pretty quickly hit. And then I was surprised, too, you know, that video that I've seen people mention. I didn't see till after I was done writing. But the one where he's walking off the green and, you know, you can tell he almost cries or he's starting to choke up and it starts to hit him. Like, that was... I was a little surprising because I don't expect emotions out of him. Like I said, I first heard about the Quail Hollow tears, you know, after I was done writing as well, when I read it in Wright's story. Um, I think sometimes that actually can help because sometimes, you know, when the game beats you down, you realize why you love the game and how much you love it. And I think when a guy cries after winning a major, I think that's a lot of it. You realize, like, how much this means to you. I think when golf's treating you poorly, you're like, I just got to get away from it. I got to get, you know, get away from the golf, get away from the course. I got to get away. And, you know... I think we all know this. Like when you have a good round or hit a good shot, it pulls you back in. I'm like, man, this is why I love golf so much. Well, and I think that's something that translates at every every level of golf. It, from your 18 to 25 handicap that's trying to win the C fl or the D flight of their club championship, all the way up to the best players in the world, is the reality is that for most golfers, 99 percent of the time, you fail. Like. It is, they, these are those 1% moments that you have to cherish because the game beats you up so much. And especially, and this is especially the case for a player like Matsuyama, where 
it's been a really rough three years. It's probably the most he's struggled with the game of golf in his in his entire life the last couple of years. And and getting a major finally after like uh, many close calls. Um, you know something that I immediately was thinking about when they got put on the clock was Hideki at Muirfield all the way back to 2013. Like, you know, there's just so many moments and in, in it, it, it's so natural. Like it, it, it's almost weird when somebody doesn't choke up when they, when they accomplish something like this, you know, you see it with marathoners, like somebody running a marathon, they finish the marathon and they start crying because you've poured months and months of time into running that marathon. And just like these golfers have poured so many hours into, you know, really peaking and playing their best on the biggest stage, like the masters. It's uh, so you, 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 you've been a Hideki appreciator in the media for the longest time. I'd, I'd love to hear how that all started. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people have forgotten that I worked at golf week or never knew that. Cause I've been at the tour for eight years now. Um, but before that, I was at Golf Week, and for a lot of that, I was covering you know college and amateur golf. And so, actually, I went to the first Asia Pacific Amateur, and I remember when they announced it, I was like, "What was that experience like?" That to do a quick diversion. So, that Mission Hills, where they have like the fourteen golf courses, mm-hmm. um, but like flew into Hong Kong, spent some couple days there, uh, and then I mean, literally, like Augusta arranged for a driver, so like this guy drove me. But then you have to go through customs to get from Hong Kong to China, and this guy's like all right, I'll meet you on the other side. Like, I can't go through with you. I'll just be there to pick you up. And so you, like, walk into this building and wait in line, and you're, like, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking saying that you're, like, going to enter the country as a journalist because, like, I think yeah. I said I was a tourist. I hope they don't hold it against me now. Um, but then you're, like, all right, I hope I see this guy on the other side because if I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, what do you do then? Yeah, what do you do? Uh, so he's there, and, you know, we go to Mission Hills in Shenzhen, and the one main thing I remember was – Outside the golf was the, um, like I was staying, there's, it's a huge property. There's 14 golf courses and I was in some tower, you know, it, my room was away from like the main, kind of the main resort area, staying in this hotel. It was a very nice room, but like I had serious jet lag. It's so I'm awake at like one, two in the morning and there's like nothing to eat. Uh, there's no restaurant there and I don't, I didn't really try. I probably should have tried to see if I could get like a shuttle to the main area. I probably, I don't know, to get some food, but like, so I just, raided the mini bar every night and lived like lived off M&Ms and Snickers for like a week while I was awake in the middle of the night. Um, but it was really cool. I mean, obviously like Billy Payne was there as the chairman of Augusta, you know, it was a really big deal. And I mean, I remember like talking to a guy from the team from, I think like, I forget where, um, but he talked about how he was a caddy and like he used to sneak onto the golf course and whenever they caught him, like he'd get beat, but he loved golf so much. He would just keep sneaking on the golf course. And you know, I think when this was formed, you know, Australia and New Zealand are included in it because it's a whole Asia-Pacific region. I assumed, you know, oh, Australia is going to win every one of these. It's going to be an Australian kid at Augusta every year. And, you know, it wasn't. The first year was this kid, I think Chang Wu Han was his name. He's a Korean. Um, he won it. I haven't seen him do a whole lot. I've seen his name occasionally on Asian tour results. But Hideki was the second and third champion, so he did well. You know, then you had Guan, Takumi Kanaya, uh, Yushin Lin has won it twice, and he's a pretty good college player over at Florida now. So, you know, even like C.T. Pan, who was a yeah. top-ranked, I think he was the number one amateur in the world for a while. He was, and was at like age 17. Yeah. Uh, youngest U.S. amateur quarter finalist since Bobby Jones, actually, at Olympic Club in 2007. He was like 14 when he made the quarters. Anyways, but great player, All-American at Washington, wins on the PJ Tour. Like, he played it, I think, four years and never won it, which shows you, that I mean, the depth there. Well, you think even, like, Curtis Luck was yeah. in it, you know? It's like, uh, and now, like, Elvis Smiley, a kid that's making waves. Like, you know, there's a lot of really good players that don't winning a golf this is a news flash i don't know but winning a golf tournament is really hard and with a master's with a master's bit on the line 
Um, and, you know, the Asian amateur is the one that's had the most made cuts, I believe. Um, you know, but it's the same thing of like, you see, you compete against these guys, you see you make the cut at Augusta and you believe more in yourself. I think there's definitely, I think it's had that effect. I think it's really worked, uh, and done what Augusta National hoped it had. I think Hideki proves that. And I mean, I was very skeptical and very wrong, I think. Um, oh, so, so yeah, so then, um, I think my Hideki appreciation. So then at 2010, um, or 2011 Masters, I'm covering for Golf Week and I've got to handle the amateur beat. So Hideki shoots 68 in the third round. Um, it wasn't really in contention. It barely made the cut, but still, I think when he walked off the golf Big course, he was, like in, he was like in 12th place. He was going to fall down the leaderboard. But yeah, I mean, 68 from a 19-year-old amateur at Augusta is huge. So I go up to uh, a writer, I'm not going to name him, who I thought might be covering it. And I go, oh, you're going to go down and get Hideki? He's like, no, our intern's handling it. And I kind of like stop. He's like, no, really. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, this is a huge deal. Like, and then, you, you know, you've heard it before and you, you know what's going to happen. But a guy that doesn't speak English gets less media coverage, which I make sense. It's harder to write about him. And you talked about Bob Turner's impact. And, you know, frankly, Bob's been huge because Bob helps with that stuff of just giving us more information, and you know, giving us some background information. Uh, but I think from then I was like, man, like. If we were judging this guy only by his golf scores, like, he'd be a huge deal. Like, you know, if a 19-year-old American amateur shot 68 in the Masters, we'd be fawning over him. So I was like, man, he's going to get overlooked because of this, which, as a journalist, I also understand why. It's harder to write a great story about him when you can't speak directly to him. And, and But I also was like, man, but he's also just really good, and we should pay attention. And so then, ever since then, I, uh, I've been on the Hideki train, and then it's some somewhere it jumped the shark from, like, you know... <laughs> To where I'm getting 50 text messages after he wins the Masters. Um, but I also, and I said on Twitter, I'm also just a bit of a contrarian. So if everyone's going to zig, I'm going to zag, which I think is why, you know, some people accuse me probably of, of jumping off the island onto, to Zalatoris Island and Morikawa Island. Uh, I do like the young, you know, the young up and comers has always been my, my lane. And so, (laughs) yeah. Uh, I'll admit it. I probably had like, I was probably packing up the boat to get off the island. And then all of a sudden I was like, no, I was going to be here all along. What are you guys talking about? I was just putting some stuff away. Um, but also when the young up and comers, I follow them. And, you know, like we said, when you're 29, you're old. So you got to, now you got to move on to Zalatoris and Morikawa. And, and well, whatnot. then they get old and then you, you go back to them. Like, yeah. you know, like, West then they went, a, they went a major. I'm like, oh, I've been here all along. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, it's funny. I had a similar thing happen to me with, um, you know, I feel like when the players that Siwoo won, was it 2017? Yeah. 2017 players, Siwoo wins, and there was a similar reaction with so many of the media, that the groans and everything. And it's like, here I'm looking, I'm like, God, this is a 21-year-old kid that just boat raced the field, like one of the best fields in golf. And I couldn't, that's when I became like a huge Siwoo Kim fan was because like of the reaction. And it was like, that's not right. And it's something I think that gets so overlooked so often with, with these young um, players from foreign countries is the idea of Hideki coming over here, living out of a suitcase for so many, so many years of his life when he was in his young 20s, not being able to communicate with anybody. It's like if you threw these young Americans, like say your John Augustines or, or even like your Will Zalatoris over and said, go play the Asian tour, I bet they would struggle. Yeah, definitely. It's, definitely. You're a fish out of water. And and I think that that adds layers to the, you know, these guys' stories and on how they come to be, you know, a master's champion. It took a little bit longer than a lot of people would have expected. A lot of people, you know, would have thought it but you know, this is the journey of a professional golfer and, and I think, you know, with Hideki, it'll be really interesting to see what happens from here because you know, you can tell that there was a lot of pressure associated with being Japan's great hope. And now that he's accomplished this, does it go, do we see 
more wins, do we see him in contention more often, or is this just kind of the way it's going to be? So my question to you would be, like, on your over-under, is this going to be a guy that gets more than one major? Or is he, is it, I think that's where I would set it. Is it two majors or more, or, or is it going to be one major career? It's so majors are so hard because they're so weird and there's so few of them. I so I mean, few. I would think I would guess another one because of the iron play. And I mean, even his worst years, he was a great iron player. So I could see it, but also, I mean, there's great, you know, there's great players who only have one, and then there's not as great players that have two. <laughs> I would guess more. I would go more. I think two. You know, if he struggled to close him out before, like maybe he did, because he was runner up at the um, U.S. Open, at Aaron Hills as well. And if you struggle to close them out, I mean, once you do win one, I think that helps with those struggles because um, you've done it before. That's a, one of the things with Hideki that I found really interesting was how good his record is when he has leads. Yeah. Like he, it's just getting there. And what, uh, I mean, what's the, what's a good player's win percentage? I mean, if you win 5% of the time, probably. 10% all timer. Like that's, I think Phil's 10%. So he's 29. He'll be competitive. Let's just say 20 more years, which would be not, he probably won't be competitive towards the end of that, but that's 20 years. That's 80 majors. Well, and let's say his win percentage is 5%, but you knock it in half, maybe more because of the strength of field. I don't know. I, I think he'll win another one, but I don't know. There's only four a year. All, that's my, that's my go-to whenever I get this question. There's only four a year. Uh, yeah. but I'd give him one more, just times on his side, I think. And he's obviously a world-class player. You know, the one sneaky thing with Hideki also that I just thought of, and I don't know where he stands, but Sergio's, you know, most majors played consecutively streak ended last year when he had the COVID test at, at the, the Masters. I don't know what Hideki's, uh, where he stands, but he hasn't missed a major since 2013 Masters. Yeah. And I don't see him missing a major for a long time. Well, and he's already played 10 majors at age 29. I mean, if he keeps going, you know, he could challenge... You know, I think Gary Player's record for most Masters. That's that's the thing. So, like, it, 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 in terms of opportunities, he's been extremely healthy over his career. And, like, I don't – like, you look at his golf swing, it doesn't seem like his is one where we're going to see a physical breakdown like a Jason Day where – you know, like Jason Day, he's still out there competing, but he even admittedly says he can't go the way he'd like to go at it. Um, his golf swing, his body type seem like – this is something that Jeff Ogilvie has talked about a little bit on the podcast is like body types. He's got that body type of the iconic players, like the, the longevity, you know, when you look at the players with the most longevity, they all have kind of a soft upper body with a bigger lower body. And, and that's Hideki's body type to T. So you think about longevity wise, like his best golf might be ahead of him in the next five to 10 years. This is not a, you know, oh, we're glad he got one kind of situation, I think. I could see him holding up, but at the same time, especially, you know, I don't know how much he flies back to Japan, but it's a lot of a lot of flights. Uh, Global player. I think it's hard. I mean, he goes at it. He does go at it pretty hard, I think. And he does have, he seems to have some resistance in the lower and upper body, which Brandon would say would make him more injury prone, um, just because of how slowly he kind of takes it back. You know, he's not like a Matthew Wolf or something. That body type, though, man. I, I once Jeff mentioned that on the pod. I never can forget it, and he's one that falls right into the bucket. Like Ernie Els, you think about a player like Phil, Retief Goosen has had great longevity. Uh, ben Hogan, you know, he had that kind of similar body type. Jack Nicholas, 
all these guys had very similar body types to the way Hideki is. This is what the people want. They want body type discussion. I just wonder too how he'll play. I mean, I heard someone mention that this could be worth a billion dollars to him and in like endorsements and, and opportunities. And I mean, honestly, it sounds crazy, but if you're the ma- the one Masters champion from Japan, if I mean, now granted, I don't know that he wants to cash in. So I think that will put that'll shorten his career a bit. Because at some point you're like, look, I'm I'm done dealing with this stuff. I'm out of here. So I think that might be the bigger, maybe not threat to his career, but the the thing that causes it to end earlier than than injuries, maybe. How many career wins? So he has six career wins now. He's twenty nine. What what are we putting out for career wins? I mean, career wins. Let's let's be fair to the global player. He's got fifteen career wins. Okay. Now, so a lot of those come come in on the Japan tour, um, but I I'd say I think I mean I think he could get to fifteen wins. Yeah. Now, is he also is he a, a Hall of Fame lock solely for the fact that he's the first major champion from Japan? I guess I mean Wai Yang wasn't, but I mean Matsuyama's career is gonna be much longer. Is he a Hall of Famer? Well, I mean, you look at global wins too. Like with him, I think it's important. He's got fifteen wins. You know, fifteen wins in a major. Obviously, by the, he's twenty nine. So, like, let's say on the low end, he gets to twenty worldwide wins with a major. You, you got to be a, a Hall of Famer, right? Yep. All right, I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, but Sean, hey, thanks so much for coming on to talk about uh, Hideki. We'll uh, we'll chat soon. Probably catch up about the the next uh, few months of uh, golf. But thanks and uh, and great coverage this week at the Masters. Sounds good. Thanks, man. All right, thanks for listening to another uh, edition of the Friday Podcast. This episode was edited by Meg Atkins and Garrett Morrison. And I just wanted a quick reminder, we've got a couple events that are going live on Friday. This Friday, we have the Big Muddy at Davenport, as well as the Jagger. Jagger is Seth uh, Rayner's middle name at Blue Mound golf and country club up in milwaukee so a couple midwest events that are going on registrations are going live this week on friday you can get in on all the action by visiting thefriday.com and going to our events page uh these i expect to fill up pretty quick so if you want to play if you want to come alone come with some buddies uh we got a lot of people that do both of those uh be ready to sign up on friday so Thank you very much for listening and uh, another Master's Week in the books.